number one thing that patients want is they want to feel heard, they want to feel important, and they want to feel understood. Yeah. And if we are, you know, not passing the baton correctly, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it does put a damper on the process. This is Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast where we ask the question, what does growth in dentistry look like to you? I'm Katie Polson, a dental hygienist and your host. Welcome to another episode of Growth in Dentistry. I am Katie Polson, and I am excited to be starting a new topic for the month of May. The topic is getting your patients to say yes. Oftentimes, we are so focused on getting patients in the door that we forget the unscheduled treatment and the practice that could fill those chairs. And so at Dental Intel, this is something that we really shine at, helping take care of the patients that are in the practice. But when we go down this road of treatment acceptance, it can get muddy really fast. And some of you probably are already thinking, I don't want to feel like a used car salesman. I don't want to feel like I'm pushing treatment. And our goal with these episodes this month is to give you tactics on how you can convince, I guess in air quotes, the patient to complete the treatment they need and not sell them with unnecessary treatment. Listen, there's a lot of things that I should be doing that are good for me. Working out in the morning is one of them. And if I don't have someone there to convince me to do it, I won't do it. And that's what we're talking about is helping guide our patients to say yes to the treatment that is good for them. So to help us do that and to start us out is this amazing powerhouse that I have with me, Shireen Washington of Real Talk Consulting. Shireen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Katie, for having me. I'm excited. Yes. So give us a little bit of your background. How did you end up into this dental world? Well, yeah, without putting everybody to sleep, I'm gonna keep it real quick. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think most people know me from my background at Clear Choice. I was a top performer at Clear Choice for almost six years. And um, so that was my start. And when I left Clear Choice, then I worked for several uh, uh private dental offices. And um, I, you know, I've, I just fell in love with it. And I, I consider myself to be an accidental salesperson because I have a master's degree in social work. I was a therapist for 10 years, mm-hmm. but I had always been in sales. And so that I think is really how Real Talk came about, Real Talk Selling, because it really takes my clinical background as a cognitive behavioral therapist and uh, as well as my journey as a weight loss surgery patient, which we can talk about, blended those together and just creates a non-salesy, non-confrontational way to get patients to say yes with ease. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a very different approach and I'm excited to hear about it. And I'm sure our listeners are excited too. So how do you, how, cause there's a lot of people out there that are talking about treatment acceptance. How does, how do you guide people to what makes you different, I guess? Well, I I really take a holistic, well, first and foremost, I take a holistic approach to this because I think that in dentistry, sometimes we fight the word sales. And so you have to kind of step back first before we go in and start presenting treatment is we have to get everybody to understand that there is no way around it. There is essentially no business in the world that there is not a sales component. Yeah. So it really starts from that. And 
what I love about Real Talk is that I teach treatment coordinators, front office coordinators, doctors to embrace selling from the perspective of serving. Yeah. Serving so powerfully that if you follow the steps as they are intended, that at the end of the consultation, a patient should be asking you what the next step in the process is, as opposed to this awkward exchange, which is what I typically see when I coach treatment coordinators in dentistry. There is a fear and an awkwardness about it, and it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've been there as a hygienist. I'm like, oh, so do you want to do it? Do you <laughs> like me? <laughs> right? It's I've so been there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So what are some common missteps, I guess, that you've, I mean, you've been in so many offices that our providers are doing when they are presenting treatment? Yeah. So I will tell you, I do a lot of secret shots. Um, where I call and pretend to be a patient for my clients. The biggest misstep is, I think, in dentistry, it's, it's hard for front office coordinators and some other team members to realize that getting the yes does not happen in the consult room. It starts over the phone. And getting that micro commitment from the moment that the front office answers the phone. And then a micro commitment happens when the patient walks in. And then another micro commitment when the Mm -hmm. assistant gets the patient. And so the goal is to gather all these micro commitments so that by the time we get to the end and we are presenting the investment, not the fee, but the investment that we have enough information about this patient that we can handle objections like a pro. But in, in, in dentistry, typically there isn't a discovery process. I I find that uh, the process in certain situations is very self-serving. It is like, we, this is what we do. This is the steps we take patients through, but there's no discovery where we get to even figure out what the patient really, really, really wants. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent. You you said some really great things that I just want to make sure people don't miss the micro commitments and invest instead of not a fee. Mm-hmm. I love those. I love that shift in that mindset. Cause oftentimes when I'm, when I'm even presenting scaling and replaning, it's so hard for me to feel like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be $800 or whatever the fee is, you know, instead of like, this is an investment in your health. Right. And if you just even have that mind shift, what would that do to the way that you talk about your treatment and acceptance or your treat, your case presentation? So powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that, um, I guess that, that I wanted to expand on that is so key metrics are a really big way that we decide. I mean, we're really big in case acceptance, we have our whole dashboard on provider pulse with case acceptance. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was one of the things that opened my eyes to how well I'm doing with my doctor is like what our diagnostic percentage and our case acceptance percentages, but, um, what key metrics are you, do you, I guess, do you look at what are important to you when you're kind of deciding if this case acceptance stuff is, is great. 
Yeah. The vast majority of the offices that I work with are either high performance offices where they are wanting to close five figure cases. Like they want to do bigger cases mm-hmm. or the practice that's like, you know what, Shireen, I haven't been closing five figure treatment, but I'm ready and I'm ready to level up. And when I have a practice that is ready to level up or they're already there and they want to grow, the, the treatment coordinator, patient concierge, they should have their own, they should be keeping track of their close rate. And oftentimes nobody really knows what their close rate is. Like, oh no, no, we're really good at case acceptance. We think it's like 80%. And it's like, really? Okay, but you're not hitting your goal. And so I, I train patient concierge and, and treatment coordinators to really own their stats. You need to have a collections goal. You need to know how much you're collecting because it's not really based off of sales. You can sell treatment, but if you're only collecting $1,000 on a $25,000 treatment, that doesn't keep the lights on, right? Yeah. So whatever you're selling, you should have at least 80% of what you're selling collected within that month, mm-hmm. okay? And then close rate varies because it, it depends on what type of treatment you're selling because it's it's harder to sell uh, five-figure treatment. And yeah. it also depends on how many jobs the treatment coordinator actually has because sometimes treatment coordinators have three or four roles, which I'm not a big fan of. Because mm-hmm. um, I believe that if you really want to drive revenue in your practice, there has to be extreme emphasis on the treatment coordinator and that's all they should be doing. So when the treatment coordinator has three, four different jobs, I can't even really tell them how much they should be selling because they got too many jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good way to think about it for sure. Especially now when we're at a time where we're in a great, a huge staffing shortage, right? And everyone's kind of trying to consolidate job positions Mm -hmm. or you definitely have to prioritize your goals, right? And then have your people do those things. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll tell you, Katie, one of the things that I've been doing lately is I'm training patient concierge remote team members how to close cases over the phone. And it is beautiful Yeah, because of the staffing, Mm -hmm. you know, because doctors will call me and they'll be like, Shireen, I want you to train uh, uh, my treatment coordinator how to close. I'm like, okay, tell me about this person. Well, she doesn't work here anymore. I'm like, Doc, how do you want me to train an invisible person? So then it's like, okay, well, and I have access to some of the best remote talent that exists on mankind. I'm telling you. And so um, I'm training a virtual person to answer the phone, to pre-screen, to find out what patients want, to have a preliminary financial conversation, tap into the pain points and get them pumped and excited about coming to the office to make it easy. Wow. I love that idea. I love that idea. And it's so new and fresh and like, mm-hmm. cause some people are, I'm there's companies that you can hire out that will do that for you, mm-hmm. but there's nothing more personal than having, especially like in my, in my practice in, in Salt Lake city, Utah, right. We've got a, we have a, an assistant that wanted to work from home and then we had them do something. So now they work from home and they do a little bit. So we're kind of like treading in this water as well, but it's, there's somebody that's vested into the practice already. Right. Uh, and why not? I, I mean, when we see, when we see it on dental intelligence with our numbers, that a lot of, 
it's a, the treatment dollar acceptance percentage is what we look at. And that number goes up the farther out that you go, because obviously more dollars get accepted mm-hmm. over time. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it had, they have a huge impact, um, over the phone, like, which is what you're going to talk about. Um, you've got that phone skills stuff coming out, but it really does. So what a value to be able to trip, to train people like that. So sorry to interrupt you, but I thought that was, no, like, oh, no. that's a really great idea. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Um, so, so you've got, um, as far as metrics, you've got your, your, your close rate. Um, I got off topic here. Um, and the, I would say the collection yeah. percentage. collections percentage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because that I think is, um, I mean, it's actually more important than your close rate because right. I'll, I'll hear treatment coordinators say, oh, I, you know, I sold, you know, my close rate, I had like eight out of 10. And it's like, okay, how much did you sell? Well, I sold a hundred thousand. How much did you collect? Well, I only got the thousand dollar deposits. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know? And so we have to be in tune yeah. with making sure that we're confident and that we, and that we are assumptive, uh, that uh, when asking patients when it's time to pay their investment. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest things I see Katie and I, I work, I'm a sales trainer for several marketing companies and I train their new onboards for one session. The biggest thing that I see when it comes to the financial conversation, which is where things start falling apart, is the assumption that people don't have any money. Yeah. And we then the conversation just gets really twisted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it, it gets to be too much because what I call a cognitive overload, when we start talking to patients about, well, we got care credit, we got green sky, we got this, we got 60 months, we got 12, we got interest rate. We got, and it's like the human brain mm-hmm. is not designed to take in all that information. And once the, inf- the brain gets all that information, it's going to make a shortcut. And that's where the objection comes from of, I want to go home yeah, and I want to think about it, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so there isn't a system, you know, most of the time, unless there is a repeatable sales process, like real talk, treatment coordinators are shooting from the hip. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because they, they making that assumption that someone can't pay is a huge thing, right? I mean, just what about just letting them just, what if they wanted to just pay in full that day? (laughs) What if that was the option? Right. Yeah. And it says a lot about, you know, like I, I, cause I've had that happen to me where I've gone and they've like offered me, you know, financing. And I'm like, I, I, I just planned on paying for the service. Right. Like, what are you, what are you assuming about me? You know, it's, it can be kind of offensive when you just start with offering them options of financing. If they don't, if they don't need it. Right. Um, and and I don't think there's any, I don't think that, I've, I've, I, in my heart, I believe that that happens because, you know, folks just aren't trained, right? And they yeah. just, they don't know how to navigate. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to start it. They don't know how to slow things down. And that um, pressure and that stress, which then translates into their body language is then transferred to the patient mm-hmm. and patients respond in kind. So if you're not confident, 
then why would your patient even trust to believe that they should move forward? Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and it's a, as you're talking and, and you've talked about a little bit about setting expectations, but it seems like it's a whole team thing, you know, because if you're, if you're starting with these micro commitments from the beginning, and then you've got at the end, the collections, like whoever's in charge of collecting, and that's how you're measuring if it was successful, you really have to have your whole team on board. Like case acceptance doesn't yeah. just involve the doctor. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love that you're bringing this up um, because when you think about a front office coordinator, if they're really doing an extraordinary job at what I call not being an order taker, but being a change maker, if they're mm. being a change maker, and really tapping into the patient and taking good notes and putting into the system, the assistant should be reading those notes when the patient shows up. In fact, they should all be talking about it during huddle, but the patient, the assistant should read those notes. And then when the assistant meets with the patient, they should be leading with that information. But what happens is the assistant's like, well, tell me why you're here. Yeah. And then the doctor comes in, well, tell why, me why, you're, why here. you're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like the patients, they don't wanna have to repeat themselves over and over again, everyone should be in alignment. And every time we gather information about the patient, that's you got to set up your treatment coordinator nice with that information and make it easy. So yeah. they go in smooth. And it, yeah. it, it oftentimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And they, and I think people assume that that's like the easy way to start. Tell me why you're here. It's comfortable, more comfortable for them to start from the beginning. Right. As opposed to, yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big, I, so I have a master's degree in communication. And so I study like the handoff, right. Between people. And yeah. that is one of the things it's like, you don't have to start with, from the very beginning, you can say, Katie was telling me that you went on vacation to Hawaii. That is so great for you. Right. And then start from where they left off. Right. Or whatever it is. But yeah. Plus, cause that's all because the patient then just doesn't feel like they were heard. Right. Yes. Yeah. I've actually surveyed patients and asked them that is their number one pet peeve is that they have to share their story more than one time. And they don't, like you said, they don't feel like they're being heard. And the number one thing that patients want is they want to feel heard. They want to feel important and they want to feel understood. Yeah. And if we are, you know, not passing the baton correctly, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it does put a damper on the process. Yeah. What do you, what do you do to smooth out that process? I guess of passing the baton, do you recommend, I mean, we have our solutions with Modento, but like, what, what do you what do you do? What do you recommend people do? In what, in what sense? Like just to pass on that information, you know, sometimes people use route slips to write on or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm old fashioned. So I recommend that the front office coordinator, they should have a, a template that they use that captures all the information. I create a template for them of like the pain points, what the patient is there for, what's important to them, any obstacles. So they should be putting that in the notes. They should be talking about this at morning huddle, but then before the assistant gets the patient, the assistant should go to the front and say, hey, I'm getting ready to go get so-and-so. 
um, I, I just want to make sure I walk up to her as opposed to calling out her name. She's in the yellow dress, right? Okay. Yeah. Anything I need to know? Okay. Yeah. All right. Then she goes. And then the assistant should be doing a nice communication handoff, not even a piece of paper. Just talk to the doc. Hey, doc, um, we got Mary. Let me tell you what she said. She's got this event coming up next month. She had two, she's had two other consults. One went bad. Well, yeah. like just taking the time mm-hmm. to communicate. Yeah. So doc, if I were you, come in the room, say this, say that, let's go. Yeah. Make the doctor's life easy. Yeah. And, and I'm a big advocate for when the doctor is presenting treatment options, whoever's presenting the fee should be in the room. Mm, I love so that. So now idea. you're hearing yeah. it for yourself. You know, no handoff, you're right there. And then the doctor and the treatment court, they should be playing off of each other, you know? And it just makes it much easier when the treatment coordinator doesn't have to awkwardly walk into the room and have this conversation that just feels that they've never, they haven't met her yet. Talk. Yeah. And they're just coming. Yeah. In. Yeah. You go oh, in cold. Oh, I call the, it cold yeah. case presentation. Yeah. yeah. yeah you're the, you're the it. money person. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love and people that say that patients say that. Oh, they too. do. I've, I've heard, heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that's really, really great, especially because so many doctors are going rightly. So they're going from operatory to operatory to operatory, and they just come right in. Right. And instead just if it be the standard of taking a minute or two outside of the operatory without, with obviously not with an earshot, um, that, that would, would make a difference for sure. I give doctors so much credit. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. When, when you put it that way, Katie, they're going in one room. How do they do it? It's really amazing to me yeah. that they do it oftentimes with minimal help. Mm-hmm. So help your doctors out. Yeah. Right. I mean, it really, I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I, I tell my friends all the time, like, how are you doing? Are you still practicing and whatever? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, just, it's so emotionally exhausting. It's way more emotionally exhausting dentistry than physically. And it's because you're constantly talking to people about something that is very, very difficult to talk about. Um, and having these handoffs that you're talking about would help so much help the doctor out. Yeah. I love that idea. Uh, that wasn't even on things that I want to talk about. Well, we just got <laughs> rambling. Cause this is like one of my favorite things to talk about is communication. So, yeah, um, yeah. well, so you talk about getting paid in full that day. That's kind of like what you'd like to talk about. And I think it's fantastic and very, very, um, provoking, I guess I should say. So what if you, so I, this is a short form podcast one, somebody's on the listening on their way to the work. If they could change one thing today about like helping them get paid in full, what would you say? I know well, that's you know not easy to you say. You know, there's more than one, but yeah. I'll say this. This is the one thing that can start the process. Yeah. Is you have to walk in the room believing you're going to get a yes. You have that's- to walk into the room assumptively believing that so much value has been built for this patient along the way that they're going to say yes. Because I can tell you, I coach enough treatment coordinators. The one thing that gets in the way is they lack confidence. Mm. They don't believe in, oftentimes they don't believe the treatment is worth it. Yeah. They don't believe that they look at their financial situation and think, well, hey, I can't do I it. I can't. Why so would why you should be that person do it? Yeah. yeah. 
And I'm going to share something that I think is important for viewers, doctors, I hope you are listening up. This is top priority. I had a treatment coordinator recently tell me that she hopes and prays that a patient tells her that they're going to go home and think about it because she doesn't want to have the conversation with them. Mm. That was very alarming for me to hear. Yeah. That they're hoping, they're happy that somebody wants to go home. And this young lady is now being trained by me, but I applauded her honesty because I know she's not alone. No, heavens no. She's not alone. So the first step to getting a patient to say yes and potentially paid in full because there's steps long after that is you've got to walk into the room with your head up high, shoulders back, poised and confident that you know what to say, that you know how to handle objections. And if you're not confident, you're going to work 10 times harder in the consult room. Yeah. And that's what I teach treatment coordinators how to do is to go in and own it. Yes. Yeah. Believe in yourself, believe in the doctor, believe in the practice, yes. believe in the that's treatment right. that's being recommended. All of those yes. things are very important. All, yeah. Amen. Yeah. We're saving lives. We're saving mm-hmm. lives. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if, if you, you don't, don't believe that we're saving lives, then yeah, if you don't believe in the doctor that you're working for, you know, you either need to have a heart to heart or you need to figure it out because yeah. they can pick up on that. And I just short little, like I had that, I had an associate that I was working with and I didn't believe in what he was treatment planning and it showed in my treatment acceptance percentage in my dental Intel, you could tell. Um, and that was a wake up call to me. I was like, okay, that's not my responsibility to diagnose mm-hmm. it's his and that's my responsibility to back him. So I either need to back him or I need to move out of the way. Um, so I love that. Go in, say, go, go in with the thought that they're going to say, why wouldn't they say yes to us? Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Yeah. So great. Why would they stay stuck? Yeah. 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 Why would they choose to not take care of this important thing that's going on in their mouth and in their health? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This has been really fun for me. I loved every second of it. Um, Same here. <laughs> well, we ask the same question to every one of our guests, uh, just because it means something different to everyone. And that is what does growth in dentistry mean to you? Oh, growth in dentistry. I, I feel like I've already made some progress, just me and my business in that more and more, I believe doctors are embracing the word sales. Mm. So that is a personal movement for me. Yeah. But I think what would be growth would be that we truly honor the role of a treatment coordinator as a consultative sales professional and a consultative sales professional that should only have one job. Mm. And if they have just one job and they are trained to be able to close cases, change lives, drive revenue, keep the lights on, the bills paid and the doctors on vacation when they want to. If they can keep one, that one role and just maintain the integrity of that role, I think that that will do wonders for dentistry. It is yeah. truly not a job that can be you know, you know, broken up into three different. Just one person, um, that to me is growth. Yeah, really. And, and growth for, for the practice to be able to do what they want to do, right? And whether that is vacation or a boat or whatever it is that means growth to you, right? And I they should that have response. that. Every yeah. dentist should have that. Yeah. So when a dentist calls me and they're like, Shireen, because a lot of dentists fight it and then they'll call me 
Shireen, all right, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to find a salesperson. Can you help me find that person? I'm prepared to pay this amount. I'm going to do it. That's magic to my ears because I know at that moment, once we get that person on board and that person is trained, the practice is going to fly. Mm, really, really so, exciting. Yeah. Really good. <sighs> Well, this has been great. This has been Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast. Again, special thanks to Shireen Washington from Real Talk Consulting. Shireen, if they want to find you, how do they do that? You can go to my website, which is realtalkselling.com, or you can find, uh, you can email me at info at realtalkselling.com. Okay, perfect. And I will put that information on our, uh, on our show notes and also on our webpage. And, uh, and you can also find really great information at dentalintel.com. So again, thank you to our marketing department, specifically Kat and Brittany for all their work on this podcast. I'm Katie Polson. Keep growing.